Today's episode of the Happy Zen Podcast is powered by 8-Bit Beans Coffee. 8-Bit Beans is fuel for the savvy gamer. Don't fill up on gross energy drinks when you need that extra gaming kick. Instead, go with 100% gourmet Arabica coffee in all sorts of blends and flavors, designed for gamers and game fans alike. Head to 8bitbeans.com and use the promo code HAPPYZEN to get 15% off your entire order. And now, on to the show. Some said they couldn't do it. Even more said they probably shouldn't. But here they are, bringing you another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Adam and Matt. And welcome back to the Happy Zen Podcast. Today we are continuing our series looking back on video games of our childhood and past. Uh, you can go back and check out our episode on our top five NES games with Steve Jones and our episode on our top five Super Nintendo games with Jason Anarchy. Uh, today we are revisiting our personal best, uh, top five arcade games and joining us is the founder of both Deadly Grounds Coffee Canada and 8-Bit Beans Coffee. He's a huge fan of horror and, uh, more directly related to today's show. He's a big fan of video games, uh, of all types, retro and modern and whatnot. So please welcome our resident coffee guru, Brad Maven. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on the show. Not a problem. Well, it's been about two years. I thought maybe I uh, I, I did my welcome the first time around. <laughs> no, I, I look, we, we had to get you back. We just had to find the right uh, the right theme, the right episode. And I think this is uh, this is a good fit. For sure. For sure. Being being in around our age and, and being obviously a fan of uh, arcade games. This seems like a good uh, good way to bring you back. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And of course, uh, I hope still with us is Adam. You still there, Adam? Yeah, I'm still here. I hate the world. It's fantastic. So anyways. <laughs> Excellent. Keeping Chipper is always on the Happy Zen podcast. Get some of that in you'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Adam's into the drink. We said it from day one. We said it from day one, right? It was like a yin and yang. We can't both be on the same side of the equation at the same time. Let's start off with uh, a simple question for bo- both of you. I think uh, Adam might have a similar situation as myself. So we'll start with Brad here. Uh, what was your first exposure to arcade games? Was it an actual arcade or was it more like seeing one you know, at a store or restaurant or, or that sort of thing? Where, where did you first see the arcade machines? So I grew up, uh, as you guys know, we talked about this before, I grew up in a really small town in Newfoundland. But in my town, which was on the Buren Peninsula, right down the southern part of the province, um, my Uncle Don owned a video store called Starlight Video. And in the back of that store, my Uncle Carl actually uh, used to repair video arcade machines like cabinets and pinball and and the like and distribute them kind of like a service throughout the Buren Peninsula. So if a machine went down, they came back to the store to get repaired in the back room. And uh, my dad would work at the video store at, at nights, 
And I got to go down and, you know, hang out with dad while he was working. And I'd get to go in the back and play any of the machines that were back for repair. And he would have like machines and jukeboxes, stuff like that. Right. Uh, called Maven's Amusements. And, uh, yeah, that was my first kind of introductory to that. Now, we did have a small arcade. Now, I was really young, so like six, seven years old. So I wasn't really allowed to go to the arcade. We did have a small arcade, um, but I wasn't really allowed in there. But I got in there a couple of times and mom or dad didn't know. And, uh, yeah, I got to see, uh, you know, an actual arcade. But I get very, very, I remember like, oh God, Russian attack being in there. And that's the only thing I can really remember from that arcade is a Russian attack machine, other than the amount of smoke in the air. Because I mean, you're talking like 1986, 87, right? So yeah, that was my first introductory to what an arcade was. But because of that year and, and kind of arcades coming out of fashion, mid 80s to late uh, 80s, um, I mean, that arcade was there one day and the next day it was gone, you know? But my uncle still had the shop where he was repairing machines. So that was around for a little while longer. Cool, cool. Um... I think for me, again, a small town, it was uh, a little bit rarer to see them. I think probably the first couple I saw, we used to have one that was always in rotation at the uh, at the arena. Uh, I remember it was uh, 1942 uh, for a mm. while. It was the first uh, Street Fighter one for a while. Uh, it, it used to rotate for, and then. Uh, there was also a bait and tackle shop that had three arcade machines for some bizarre reason. And I remember they had, uh, they had gauntlet, they had super sprint and, uh, some sort of deer hunting, uh, game of some sort or like a gun hunting game, but it was an an early one because the gun was mounted right on the cabinet, pretty much like a couple inches away from the screen. So that was definitely uh, my first uh, exposure to that. We didn't have, really an arcade it was close by. So we were really relying on uh, these places to kind of rotate out the machines. And then a little bit later on, as I got a bit older, uh, there was a restaurant in town that had a few uh, arcade cabinets that uh, were rotated in over time. Nice. Isn't it funny? Look, I find that you watch certain old movies and you'll see like movies from the, the mid to late eighties that they they have random machines. And so it used to work right for a while. When, when our case kind of fell out of fashion, you would see these random machines in a seven 11, this one in the corner type of thing, or like in restaurants, like you kind of mentioned, I've been to restaurants where, yeah, there was like this kind of like almost, almost felt forbidden. This like a little, little area that had three or four machines that were just there. Like they weren't there to make money per se. They weren't there as a revenue generator for this establishment. They were just there. I don't know, maybe to keep the kids busy while food was waiting to come out or, or what, you know, but they certainly didn't have like the way I think you and I look at arcades and, and the nostalgia factor. I don't think about that. I think about something much more grand with like, you know, the neon carpets and, and the black lights and all that stuff, not three or four machines hidden in the back of a, of a diner. You know? Yeah, I, I got to think that at that time, there was probably guys that went around to these restaurants and convenience stores and just sold them on like, you know, this is a great, easy money making opportunity. Put one of yeah. these into your business and you'll be all set. For sure. I agree. So, Adam, what is your first uh, experience with arcade machines? Did you uh, grow up with them around or did was there an arcade near where you were growing up? OK, so you're probably re- referencing in the village of Butley where we grew up that there was an arcade. I never took part in that arcade, actually. Uh, for me, video, the first few arcade machines I had the pleasure of uh, using 
we're actually at local arenas or whether with a bowling alley, whatever I can get my hands or, or get some time to, to get on one, maybe in the Zellers shopping center, if you would even call a Zellers a shopping center, but I guess because it was in the mall, that would make sense. And they had them at the entrances there. So occasionally I get to try a game there. So I had limited capacity. And I think that really shows up in my list. Um, so when narrowing down my top five, it's certainly as I'm a little bit older and probably had a little more access or they were more accessible because they were in more places. And so that's where uh, we see a bit of a, a flip on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, I did not have, ex- I didn't have access to an arcade as a kid at all. It was the same sort of thing. So I think ours are going to be sort of the same situation. I think we were small town boys with not a lot of exposure, but uh, let's get into it. Let's start. Uh, let's start with our guest, Brad, why don't you uh, start us off? And again, we, we technically have th- these numbered, but I think we all kind of can agree that these numbers could really change on a whim and they don't really mean much. No, no absolutely. You guys don't have a Mind number them. one. Well, <laughs> I mean, Yes, technically, but I, for me, anyways, personally, mine could change on the day. I think I have a number one, um, just from a nostalgia factor and what it brings back to me as a kid. But I think the rest of my list could really be anywhere on the list. There's like there's one that I'm like, man, like this brings me back to like traveling with my family, going to St. John's, which was like four hours away, where they had like an arcade in the mall that had everything you can imagine. Uh, but also you'd find this one at the time at the airport. You'd find that this was a, a machine that, you know, like, holy shit, they have it here. And, and you know, dad, give me some quarters type of thing, right? Um, so I guess we'll leave that one, right? We'll leave the oh, number one. That's right. That one has to be at least your last one. I, I figured right. there had to be a one. I mean, no matter how – in doing these lists so far, I've come to the conclusion that there's at least a one or something that yeah. – a one or two that people will say, okay, like this is my, if I could have it, have it right now, this is what I'm going to pick. Now the rest of it gets a little more circumstantial, but all right. right yeah, on. I agree hundred um, percent. So I had a really hard time coming up with these five. And, uh, and I said to you offline, Matt, that for me, this list was really a combination of kind of the classics that a lot of people expect to see on the list, you know, like 82 and earlier, let's say. And then like a lot of, uh, late 80s to like 94 that had to make the list for me, you know. So I'm going to start with a, a classic. And this is one of my go-tos. I have it on every system that I have. I always have competitions with my buddies, especially Chris with this game. Uh, but Galaga. Galaga is like my uh, shmup. Uh, it's not even really a shmup. I mean, it kind of is. Um, you know, it's a it's a – not even what's the right word. I mean, it's a stand and play shmup, I guess, in a certain way, right? Uh, that that's my game. That's my game for that type of uh, uh, genre, and I have to have it. I have it on Xbox. I have it on PlayStation. Of course, I have it over at the arcade. Uh, yeah, I love that game. So, was that one that you you played early on as a kid? Then, for like, did you get it, or was that later on when you were? So funny enough, it was later on for me. Like, uh, I think my so so my buddy Chris, you uh, who you know, uh, he um, he's a big Galaga fan. I guess his number one, one of his top games. I think next to Robotron. Um, so he kind of got me into Galaga, and it became it became a, a competition. And then uh, I had a chance when we were getting ready to open up Eight Bit Beans to get an original Galaga cabinet from a guy in Keswick. 
So I'm like, okay, guys, let's get in the truck and go. And we went and got uh, we got that machine and a Trek and Phillip machine, original, both originals from this guy that had them in his garage. Nice. And uh, it was having issues, and he's like, oh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, it's probably easy to fix. And we literally, I think I paid 300 bucks for this cab, and I got it back. And our guy, Callan, who fixes all our machines, like, yeah, it's just one fuse. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> so he got it, like, running perfectly. Um, and I think since he's changed it out for some, like, you know, better better uh, joysticks and whatnot. But, yeah. So it was a later-in-life game for me, but one that I, I absolutely love. Right on. Okay. Uh, Adam, what's your uh, your first one on your list? I think it's kind of funny, actually, because mine is 1942. So yeah. it was it was the first, you know, not space shooter, like shmup, as you said. Uh, and I, I really remember, mostly it was exposure, but I do remember playing Galica, uh, Galica, sorry. But I think for me, it was the, the power-up mechanism just a little bit more advanced totally. graphics and considering i had way more time on you know nes and snes at that point yeah. um i really had expectations right it needed to match that and so 42 totally did that for me and so you had a few little like mechanics to like you had that whole back roll thing you got to do uh it was just fun it was interactive and and in retrospect and i don't know about you guys and and uh i look forward to hearing this but I forget the premise of almost every arcade game, like the long-term premise. I know the short-term, like what the quarters were trying to get you to do in a few levels, but I, I very few of them I remember the long-term premise. So I'm, in research, I'm looking this up, and I did not realize that the goal of 1942 was to continually eradicate the Japanese to make it to Tokyo and make them surrender. That was the entire purpose of the game. And I was like, oh, I don't remember that being the goal. I just remember shooting stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah <laughs> just shooting down planes is pretty much it. So you probably had... a. Uh... I mentioned this earlier. That was one that I remember rotating through at the uh, at the arena. Is that where you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big one at the that uh, one and the, the uh, Northumberland Bowling Alley, the, the Northumberland Mall Bowling Alley had 1942 mm-hmm. in it for a long time too. So I, I appreciated those the, those games. I, you know, a lot of the older ones I, I wrestled with, and uh, there's another old game on my list that that had some some life to it too. But then, other than that, I'm probably closer to the 90s genre. Nice, cool. Speaking of 90s, my number five, in quotes, I guess, uh, was a machine that I first saw on the ferry going over to Prince Edward Island when I was 14, I think. Um, It's a driving cabinet. sit down in the cab. And it was the reason that I ended up getting a Nintendo 64, because this game, the rumors had it, was being run on the Ultra 64 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was Cruising USA. Cruising, yeah. I love driving games. I always have, especially like arcade type games. And I don't know, there was something about Cruising USA when I saw it. It just marked like a next level of graphics. And then I think that appeal that I could eventually have this game at home in theory, exactly arcade perfect which isn't exactly what happened, but um, I just, I loved the tracks. I, I loved the look of it. It it was like that time too in the nineties where it, it jammed in digitized characters as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, that early to mid nineties look on it. I don't know. I just, I love driving games and, and cruising USA was one that uh, stuck with me ever since I saw it on that, uh, on that ferry to Prince Rhode Island. So yeah, cruising, uh, 
Cruisin' USA was mine. I did play Cruisin' the World. Uh, I think there was a Cruisin' Europe one maybe as well. I don't know if they were arcade or if they were just console, but I don't know. Cruisin' USA just has a has a place in my heart. There's a, there's a brand new Cruisin' that came out like two years ago, uh, arcade only. And it's at, uh, they have it at the rec room in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to play with it, and it keeps some of the nostalgia of, that, of what you're talking about. Because I, I love that. I'm, I'm with you. And funny enough, I didn't even think about cruising when I was making this list. But uh, the irony of that is, um, we recently were talking about uh, the arcade about eight bit and about how I like that we have Hummer there, and it's great that we have a driving sim, but I or a driving arcade style. But I really want cruising, so I've told my guys, I'm like, hey. I know that places are closing up. So if you're getting cruising back, I will gladly trade out the Hummer for a classic cruising. Yeah. Hummer's great, but I mean, it's a little too modern for you, but I want it to be more classic like cruising, you know? But yeah, that's a great game, man. I love it. Yeah. And it had the, the co-op or not the co-op, the, the, the head to head as yeah, well. Yeah. If you were lucky to get the two side by side. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's another thing too. We should touch on like, I think the arcade machines were always sort of, at least growing up, were sort of the um, kind of the unicorn. They were this machine that was always going to, for a long time, anyways, was always going to be always better or or more powerful than you could ever get at home. And obviously, to the the limitation of which games were available to you, kind of added that um, that rarity to it as well. So I, there was always something special about arcades, even the ones that were super just dumb stupid hard you were still drawn to it just because it was something you could never play at home or at least even when you could play it at home it wasn't like that there's just something oh, special about an arcade machine how many how many times did you play uh i mean maybe not too many times but i mean i for me i remember playing uh i don't want to get into something anymore on my list but i remember playing like the the home console version of an arcade game and being like are you freaking kidding me? Oh, I just want to go back to the arcade. And then I also remember thinking at that time, like, how is it you can do this in the arcade, but you can't do it at home? I don't understand. Like, why can't we have this? Yeah, it was so disappointing. Well, Brad, uh, if you want to uh, go on your next pick and see where you're at for that. Okay, so I'll actually tie into that we were just talking about. Uh, the next one on my list is one of the more modern machines, or 90s machine anyway. And I'll go with, like, the four-player TMNT um, machine, which was, you know, you always wanted to play against your buds playing TMNT or playing with them, um, you know, co-op. But that was a classic game where even at home on the NES, they called it TMNT, the arcade game. And you put this fucking thing in and you're like, come on, this is nothing like what I just played at the arcade. So yeah. disappointing. And I think that's what's, that's even a bigger piss off is when we actually use the word arcade in the title of a, of a home console game and it doesn't hold up, right? But the arcade machine, man, you can't get much better for a co-op game than TMNT. I mean, you you felt compelled to keep popping quarters in because you didn't want to be the one that, you know, lost first. And, you know, you're still going on. Well, I got to keep up with you and I got to keep helping you. You didn't want to be the guy that kind of wussed out early, right? So you yeah. kept, they, they know what they were doing. You pop those quarters in until you all got to, or both of you were playing two-player, got to the end so you could beat that boss. But the great thing about games like that, what people don't realize, too, like TMNT, um, this is not on my list by any means, but like uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which was first in the arcades, these were all kind of like side-scrolling, platforming-style games that when we think about playing them at home, we're thinking like, you know, 
10 hour experiences roughly at the time. Um, you know, they built these machines to be an hour experience from start to finish with you pumping quarters and to get to the end. Like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, I finished that game recently. And it was like the arcade version. I'm like, wow, that was super short. Like, really, I mean, I had unlimited plays, obviously. But, like, you know, obviously it's not going to feel that way if you keep losing. But when you could keep pumping the quarters and to keep the power up, it was over in an hour. I'm like, wow, okay. You never yeah. don't think about that, but that's how they created these arcade cabinets that were kind of like at home platforming style. They kept them short so that they were attainable to beat. Well, Adam, what are you? Oh, you're shaking your head. What's I'm, up? I'm just laughing because. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's on my list, I'm, and I'm just gonna. It's not a number one, so the the placement fits really well. So my, my next one is a Konami. It is. It was released after the TMNT. Model. I know what you're going to say. Four, it had the four-player console, and it was The Simpsons, right? The Simpsons, and it's like it's yeah. hilarious because it's I have the same criticisms of that game that you're sharing with DMT. Oh, absolutely, it's fantastic arcade machine, fantastic gameplay. It was so cool to play the cartoon. It was like one of the first experiences to take something you watched on television, and all of a sudden you're controlling the characters, and it looked no different than television. So that was really cool because yeah. the only other experience we had up to date at that point was was it Dragon's Lair. <laughs> I don't yeah. think anyone put on their list. Um, if you did, you did it for look. You didn't do it for gameplay or control. Um, so anyhow, so it was the first one to really do that. And then, of course, the Simpsons were all the rage at the point. I, our age, you know, I would have been 10, 11 around that time frame. So it was a hot machine. It was a four-player machine. In a lot of cases, if they didn't have the, the Ninja Turtle game, they had the Simpsons game. And so totally. sometimes you didn't get spoiled with both. You only had that option. Now, if you're at Canada's Wonderland, they had both. So it was whatever worked out for you. It was just a really fun game. It was interactive, right? Like the characters, like you could put Bart could be on Homer's shoulders as you're tackling and dealing with the, all the thugs and stuff through the game. So there were some neat little uh, things that were gameplay-wise that were really fun to make it fun to play with your friends. Uh, a little more interactive and in, like in the co-op aspect of things. So I, I liked all that. But of course, didn't translate. You know, they had to add all kinds of extra content, mini games and stuff to get it onto the, the console to make something of value for people. And it's interesting. Um, I because, think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to mean to interrupt, but I mean talking about Simpsons. I, I mean, I think me personally, I don't think there's a good home console Simpsons game until we got to the GameCube era when we got uh, Hit and Run and those ones, which weren't even you know uh, platformers; they were more racing and whatnot. Yep. Uh, but. All those games around that time, except for the arcade games, sucked. Everyone on the NES sucked. Bart, Bart's Nightmare, uh, you know, they were all just terrible games. And yep. you get teased by this amazing arcade cabinet. And, you know, they just couldn't do anything with it at home. It was so disappointing. And I'll be honest, there was like the Konami trifecta there. Of There was three games that were done in succession that were these multiplayer games, right? You had, you had TMNT, you had The Simpsons, and then you had The X-Men. And I will yeah. admit, I like the X Men game, but but I think they undervalued. Like some of the characters just kind of weren't. A couple of characters were great, you know, Wolverine, Storm, etc. Nightcrawler was really hard to want to use. Colossus really wasn't that fun to use. So if you got stuck on one of the other characters, it 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 was you didn't want to play. So it wasn't always a full six player because some of the characters yeah. kind of sucked. So so that's where I ended up with Simpsons. I gave Simpsons the space on my list instead of the Ninja Turtles. I figured. Probably one of you two, if not both of you, was going to say the turtles. And I thought, you know what? There's an element that 
worked for me for The Simpsons that made it resonate, and you captured captured it. It was the only video game of The Simpsons that was worthwhile that you'd want to play again. And uh, yeah, hundred percent, I enjoyed totally. a lot of quarters out of that one. You know, talking about X Men just for a second, I think the problem with X Men it was more a matter of a period of time than it was how good the game was. You know, at the time, being uh, mid, you know, late early nineties. It didn't have the clout that X-Men has today. I mean, superheroes didn't have, you know, the, the pop culture status that we have now. Um, Simpsons and TMNT were, were everything at the time, you know? It's funny with The Simpsons, too, because you would fall for it every time a new one came out. You're like, well, this one, I got to try it. It's going to be better. It can't be, you know, it can't be worse than Bart versus the world or Bart versus Space Mutants. And it it would be like these games were the most punishing games. And if I ever find the people that ran that uh, Acclaim and LGN, <laughs> those companies that put out those games, it just beat them to death. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it, a really good comment about the X-Men game, too. I, I wondered if it would have had more life just based on the genre at the time, even if it was like five years later, because the comics yeah. were really starting to pick up, right? Did it come out yeah. after the animated series? No, it was, the old, it was the older it, it was the older characters. It was actually the comic based characters. When I look back to the Nightcrawler costumes yeah. and that, so I think it was around that time. But even then, if you just fast forwarded five years, give or take, where the X Men really erupted, like ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, like that period of time, where the comic really just like somehow I don't know what sequence of events, but it just like blew blew up. And when that, I, I think it was after the Apocalypse uh, storyline that made it way more mainstream. If they took that time frame, like you imagine an X Men Apocalypse video, mm-hmm. like like arcade game, that would have it would have broke me. I'd still probably still be standing at it as a homeless man. <laughs> well, I think too, like when Capcom started doing the the fighters, they were pulling the animation and the cells from the animated series at that point. In fact, I think they carried that through right up until I can't remember if Marvel vs. Capcom three stopped being two D or not, but all the two D. Uh, Marvel Capcom fighters are that animation and it's all the same voice work. It's all the same sound clips from the animated show. So I think that animated show certainly helped blow up uh, the X-Men as well. Uh, All right. So I guess that leaves me. Okay. This is another one. This is, uh, this is a two thousands, maybe 2010, 2010 machine. Uh, So definitely one much later in life that I stumbled across and it somehow, it was at a Dave and Buster's. Uh, it it took my my love of gun games because I love any of the games that have the, uh, the the gun accessories, be it Time Crisis, Virtual Cop, yeah. any of that stuff. And it took my love and my nostalgia for '80s Sylvester Stallone, specifically Rambo. In the late, I don't I don't know the year on this, but it, Sometime in the last 10 years, this came out. There's a 40, I want to say 46 inch monitor version of this Rambo game that is a, a shooter. And I think you can have two players because I think one of them is Rambo and the other one's Colonel Troutman. And it's the craziest, most bananas, 80s nostalgia, way overly violent mind trip I've ever had. So much so that where every other shooting game has an alternate fire, which is usually a grenade or a different gun, the alternate fire in the Rambo arcade is just rage mode, 
where he just shoots faster and Stallone just yells his Rambo grunt for like 30 seconds or whatever it is. I don't know why I like it. It's, but every single time I went back to Dave and Buster's, I would look for that machine. The, the vibration in the, in the gun controller was the the most I've ever felt. Like it was the most, it's the closest thing to childhood Matt. And yes, childhood Matt probably shouldn't have been watching Rambo movies, but I mean, in the 80s, we had toys that were Rambo, so that's a different story altogether. But it was the closest to being that cartoon of Rambo, that that version of, you know, you hit your alternate fire and he's just screaming and you're just shooting all these Russians with your Taliban buddies because, you know, who could have known? Anyways, yeah, so Rambo, uh, the arcade (laughs) machine, it's, it's probably peak excess. Like I said, this screen on it is huge. It's got giant subwoofer speakers in it. The cabinet is ginormous. The vibration in the guns is over the top. But if I see that game, I will play it every single time. I just had to look it up because um, I, I don't think I had seen it. I just looked it up. That, that looks pretty. That's pretty wild, I have to say. I think Sega maybe released it yeah, or, or Sega, at least uh, Sega it. produced it. Yeah. So I got to yeah. ask a question, Brad, and, and you maybe have some insight on this. Is it just me? Or maybe another takeaway from arcade machines was the immersion effect. So even at the stand-up, like The Simpsons, for example, the yeah. immersion effect based on you know your position, you're at the right position, the right height, and a bit of a comfortable setting. But mm-hmm. there's also the brightness of the screen and the volume. Like Matt kind of touched on it, like that oh, yeah. over loud, but it has to be really loud. I mean, how do you manage that even at the, the cafe where you've got so many machines? And, and is that something that's actually considered or is it just kind of what they're set oh, at? You have to make the adjustments. So there are adjustments. And, and funny you say that because that's a big thing for me is the, the I call it the, 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 the noise. And, you know, for me, when you come into the arcade, if you don't have the right combination of noise, it's not happening. And, and so for me, when you come into 8-Bit, and I've gone over to 8-Bit when it's like, oh, they're not expecting me type of thing. And I walk in, and I'm like, music's too low. Uh, when the guys come back, you got to get them to turn the Robocop machine up because it's too low. Like, there's certain sounds and how they how they make the entire atmosphere of the venue uh, sound that have to be in place. And, the, and everything has to be just right for you to come through the door and feel like you don't want to leave. You know. So for me, yes, absolutely. And everything right down to – and this is something that I'm currently working on um, – to where the machines are positioned in the venue itself, where they are in in relation to uh, the other to each machine, and like you know, do you keep genres together and whatnot? And for me, that's uh, something that I'm always considering. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's because of glare and something from the outside as well, which we're also fixing. Um, it's a very big thing, and I'm one of those people that you'll hear me often say, "Okay," and I'll have a list. And when the pin people come back, here's what these machines need need to be like people are attracted to them. And for some reason, I don't know if it's an issue with the actual motherboard or what, or the soundboard on RoboCop. I keep going back to that one, but RoboCop keeps every time I go there, it's too low. And RoboCop is not a great game by any means. I'm a big RoboCop fan, but the game, the pin itself is not a great pinball machine, but the sounds, and it was one of the first machines that was in stereo and it had like, and it promoted, you know, full stereo sound. And it had, you know, the, 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 the theme song and it had like the, the cop lights and sirens. And it's like, okay, this is a machine that, that you're going to play it and you're going to probably be disappointed when you play it. But, you know, it gives off that vibe. 
You know? Yeah, you got you got to suck uh, it, suck that, in. and you got to draw attention. Like I, I really totally. feel arcade games are always about drawing attention to the game being played for other people to spectate or to have their own yeah. turn, right? And so that's an element where that doesn't translate well to home, because at no, home totally you were not cranking up your tube television, and if you were, great for you, and you're probably still disappointed. But uh, very <laughs> unlikely you're immersing yourself, and uh, and if you were, you're being let down. For sure, and there's also something in my opinion too about creating the atmosphere while you're playing it so that you want someone to come and watch you or you want people to gather around to see what you're doing with that machine i think that's a part of the the, the arcade nostalgia is the 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 social and the community aspect of playing arcade games and pinball machines yeah it's, it's funny you said that i mean i remember i had the girls over at the cafe it was before covid but when they were there i was very comfortable watching them game and it was you know older style games but they were loving playing older style games and I come home and I can't sit there and watch them play PlayStation. Like, it drives me nuts. So I can't, I can't so sit different. there and take – I try, but it, I feel like I'm having an epileptic seizure at some point, so I just have to leave. But yet there's an enjoyment <laughs> in that environment when you're standing at the machine. And it's, it's you're right. There's a whole different feeling. I don't even call that nostalgic. I, I think there's just something different about it. Like, you recognize that this is an individual space. For sure. Space. It's a vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. It just – it works, man. You know, I, I struggle with um, a lot of – I struggle with modern arcade versus – traditional arcade and and what i mean by that is when you mentioned dave and busters and, and like I, i'll talk about palladium a little bit for a minute um when i look at think about 8-bit and the, the vision that i had for 8-bit and when i think about tilt in toronto or z80 for that matter or a house of target in ottawa there's something about coming to one of our places that replicate you know 80s era arcade uh, not just from the machines, but just the vibe, but the machines as well. And then you go into like a, a Palladium or a, or a Dave and Buster's. And other than a few cool machines like the Rambo machine and like they have a Luigi's Mansion machine, which is really cool. They have some cool stuff. But I don't understand that maybe it's just me being old at this point in life. But I don't understand the point of these places. And I'll give you a great example. Um, when they open up Palladium and Whitby. Uh, Adam and I decided we would go there one night and we went like later at night. It was like eight o'clock and they're like, Oh, well you can play for, for 25 bucks. You can play what you want until we close. I'm like, okay, cool. We both paid 25 bucks, got our wristband. We went through the entire floor once and said, want to go? I'm like, yep. Because there was, there's, there's the machine is okay. First machine is, um, shoot em up alien style. Machine right next to it is shoot em up monster style. Then it's shoot em up rabbits. Then it's like, they're all the same damn machine with no goal. You're not looking at score. You're just shooting for the sake of shooting, and you're done. And that's what every freaking machine was like. And same thing with the race machines. There was no goal other than beating your friend, which in itself is fun. But when you think about what we have, and when you think about what Tilt has with you know your Donkey Kongs, your Dig Dugs, Galagas, Pac-Man, whatever, Asteroids, what are we doing? We're trying to get our name at the top of that list. That's the whole point of every one of those damn machines is to take over the leaderboard. You don't think about that at Palladium. You don't think about that at Dave and Buster's. It's a totally different vibe. And the kids love it. And that's great. It's a great place for the kids. But it's not really for people like us. It's not, you know, it's not for someone where we go and grab a pint and we, you know, rib each other and say, you know, I'm going to kick your ass now. Right? Yeah, that's you the don't best do that at Dave do. and Buster's. Yeah, the best yeah. you can do, hold my beer. Like it, exactly. it works that way. It doesn't work well when I'm shooting stuff. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It's it's certainly the genre, the age difference, right? And I, it, but but we say that, but yet if you can get the younger audience to actually get on one of those machines, they're just oh. as captivated as we are. It is absolutely 
you watch it replicate itself and you realize the, the why that machine is there is that recipe is very very effective and, and, and right. it may be even more rewarding in the long run if you can get them to expose themselves to it and try it and i think they'd be way more way happier in doing so I agree with you. What I find is when I go to 8-Bit, if I go to 8-Bit on like a Saturday, and I'm talking like pre-COVID, like crazy busy Saturday, you're seeing the cross-generational players from 11 o'clock in the morning with the families coming in and dad showing his son and then son getting captivated to even bringing grandpa and grandma and they're all into it to the evening time when it's people our age, they're actually enjoying a few pints and enjoying the evening and getting into the competition side of things. That's what I love to see. I love going into an arcade and seeing young playing with old and 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 people just enjoying themselves. Like I don't think we've ever had anybody say they didn't enjoy their time, you know? And it's because of the the entire package that you put together. And I think it's so important to preserve that. And and you know, constantly, in my opinion, what we try to do is constantly evolve our our vision and make sure that we almost keep retrograding, you know, keep going back nostalgically. Instead of getting better, we're getting like going backwards, we're getting better because we're we're dialing in the nostalgia. Do you know what I mean? It's just going to be a whole room full of CRT uh, TVs at some point. <laughs> All yeah. like those wooden cabinet ones will yeah, be awesome. Exactly. Uh, okay, well, I think we got uh, Brad. We're, you're up uh, next on your list. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to switch one of mine out because I think we've killed this, the, the, the Konami uh, genre or the Konami oh. machines. Yeah. I did have Simpsons on that machine on that list too. Nice. Um, okay. I, I, my next one's going to be a vector machine. No, uh, I love vector arcade machines and asteroids has to be one of my favorite games. And first of all, I never, my first introductory introduction to asteroids was on Atari. That's how I first played asteroids. And then when I actually get to play Asteroids in an arcade, the way that it's meant to be played with that proper screen and the lighting of that screen, you just, it's hard not to play it with, and with the right controls, you know, it's such a great machine and so damn difficult. I remember it being so much more difficult in the arcade than actually being on, on the Atari 2600. Um, but I love that machine. It's one of my favorites. The problem that you run into in modern day arcade, and we run into this as well, um, Asteroids being one, Tempest being another. That's another vector machine. Star Wars is another vector machine. Those those CRTs or the vector monitors are very very hard to repair and almost impossible to find though. So you you can your blessings every day. You power those machines up and your vector cabinets turn on properly. <laughs> oh man, that's a good. That's definitely a good pick. I, I remember I, I'm same as you. My first experience with Asteroids was on the Atari. It was really the one my dad. I I guess bragging would always be like, oh, me and my buddy, we used to play Asteroids all weekend. We'd get so many extra lives that we could just leave the game on, go get pizza, come back and still be playing. I remember him like telling me that over and over and over again and not caring the least when I was a kid, thinking like, it's Asteroids, who cares? Yeah. But <laughs> like you said, playing it on the actual arcade cabinet, it is a different feeling. And um, I don't have it on my list, but you mentioned Tempest, the same thing. Like there's something about... Mm those screens are so bright and, and, and so sharp, uh, so sharp to, to the point where you can almost see like a bit of, sometimes a bit of ghosting with the, with the line, the line oh, yeah. artwork, but it's uh it's, it's such a different, it's such a different look to it. Like, I don't know. I didn't know anybody that had like, what was the one, the home console, the, ve- uh, Vectrix. Vectrix. Yep. 
yep. which was like a home uh, vector-based video system, which was just, it had its own monitor because it had monitor, to. Yeah. But I didn't know anybody that had that. So really it wasn't until yeah. much later. It it might have been, it might have been at 8-Bit that the first time I actually got my hands on an actual proper vector-based arcade machine. So that's a, that's a good pick. And you a know, classic well, anyways, like wherever you play it. It's totally a classic. The, the funny thing about Asteroids and um, Tempest even over it, because Tempest is full color, as, full, as much as full color vectors can be. Um, over at 8-Bit, yeah, when we, we had to get that one repaired, and we actually, our guy managed to find like a, a great monitor for Tempest. And I'm like you. I mean, I had played them on a proper vector monitor before, but actually having time to be like, okay, you know, I own this place. I can play as much as I want and like actually like really look at these machines. I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is a cool game. And even Tempest, like my son, my son is nine. He loves Tempest. Like he'll sit there with that dial and just play Tempest. And he's like, it's just so cool how you like, you just keep watching your score. And the game is simple in theory, but it gets more complicated as it, as it goes on. Right. So that's a, that's a great one too. Vector machines, they were built simple. They were like, you know, it's, it's all jagged lines and, and straight lines and it's just lines. And it sounds, okay, how can that be good? But when you play them, the minutia of those games is just phenomenal. Yep. Uh, Adam, what are you got up next? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go for that far back classic. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to jump off of Matt's point a little bit on the, the driving. But for me, it was actually flying. And so for me, it was, uh, a sit, it was the first flying game that I ever remember sitting in where you actually got to handle the joystick. And mm-hmm. you know what? It was, in hindsight, it does not hold up. I remember playing this actually at Disney World in Florida. They actually they had it at one of the hotels because all the hotels and arcades that I went in to play it and went, oh, this, this didn't quite age the way I wanted it to. But the problem, I, not the problem, but the reality I will say is that it always comes to top of mind on arcade experiences growing up. And it's always part of my memory bank of arcade games. And so that is actually uh, Afterburner. I had to go with Afterburner on that. I mean, there's plenty others that I, you could you could sit there and tell me that you would have way more response, that you had the mechanisms that, that, that the, the, the pot itself was going to move and react and you could get all that. And I get all that. But the sound... The music, it was it hurt your ears when you were young, like it was ridiculous. It was so immersive for such a simple screen with a limited range of motion with your plane, but it was just effing cool. Like it was just so intense and so unsuccessful in playing it. Like you really didn't get far and everything seemed to be the same. But I don't know, it just held up for me. And in my memory, I can't escape it. I was writing the list and trying to put something in its place. And I couldn't. I just couldn't not put it on the list. I had too much memory for me. Well, was that's your, perfectly fine. Was your first introduction Afterburner at the arcade or at home? Afterburner at, in the arcade. Never tried it at home. Really? really? Yeah. Cool. I think I only played it at home. Oh, really? Ooh. I don't think I ever played it in the arcade. I think... And Space like, Harrier, yeah, the, too. The, the graphics don't hold up, but... I think, like you said, just having that experience of being in a in a cockpit, having a joystick. Like I remember playing, uh, you know, flight sims and stuff on the computer. Yeah. And if you had a joystick, it just it it makes you feel like you're a part of yeah. it, especially that early on with something like Afterburner. 
And yes, that one was always at like 110% volume. I don't know why. <laughs> just cranked. Yeah, it, it drowned out your, your senses to realize you weren't accomplishing anything, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I like the cruising <laughs> titles a lot. I really did. And I, I, again, I'm trying to eliminate duplication a little bit. So Afterburner, it, it just, like I said, I can't take it off the list. And I, I know there's better flight games. Heck, I remember playing some that were better than that. But I, I'm still got to go with it. It was the Tom Cruise era. It was everything oh, was yeah. there. Top like Gun, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they ripped off the soundtrack for Top Gun for that too. Like it was just great. Likely. <laughs> Do you guys have the same problem? I mean, so Adam, I know you have kids, right? Yeah. So uh, the problem that I run into, because I know that you know we just talked about this kind of, you kind of touched on, which I like. Um, we played whether it would be arcade games or or video games at home or even toys. We played with a lot of shit when we were younger. Like yep. stuff that really, you look back, like you said, like you said, like you, it's on your list, but you know, when you think about it, it really wasn't that great. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I can, I can relate to with that. Now I see my kids do the same thing where they play something that's stupid or they play something that I deem as being shit. I'm like, what the hell are you playing that for? It's so stupid. And I'm thinking, they're just doing the same thing that we did. Like, we you know, we love that stuff. We would have loved that stuff today too if we were his age, you know? My daughter's <laughs> sitting in there right now, still playing Minecraft right now at 13 years old. And I mean, I don't know how you can keep going to this point in time i mean we're years into that game now i don't know what's being accomplished and then i see what she builds she walks me through what she builds and totally. i think it's like this I, you think it's the stuff that comes preloaded with the game right and i think yeah. to myself going where's the gratification like where's the and i guess that's probably what our parents used to think when they looked at us playing with our absolutely toys. absolutely what the, what the hell is a centurion like why are those things clicking on his body that makes no sense <laughs> i know yep 100 <laughs> percent um there was a I think maybe mid to late 80s, there was a huge run on like, and I think Sega is probably behind a lot of it. A lot of those cabinets where you were in an airplane, you were on a motorcycle, you were in a race car. Sega loved those kind of cabinets. And oh, yeah. I mean, what a draw, right? Because it's super smart. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so smart because basically, who doesn't want to do those things? Especially yeah. as a kid, you want to fly a plane, you want to drive a car. You want to do what Sega wants you to do and put money in their machines. Sega has always been and still continues to this day. If you go to Japan, arcades over there are just full of Sega cabinets. That's just, they know, and modern, like, you know, built just now. Like, Sega knows how to, to make arcade. It's just ridiculous. You just made, I mean, if, you, sorry, you just if you're walking by a stand-up head. cabinet, out, yeah, outrun another one. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, hang on, or super hang on, whatever oh, it was. Hang on, time. yeah. Same thing, you know, you walk by a standard cabinet, yeah, it's great and cool, but then beside it is like a full-size motorcycle I can sit on? Yeah. I'm seven years old. Yeah, I want to do that. And, and then I'm looking at this, you know, 8-bit video of a motorcycle in front of me, but I'm also, I'm leaning. I'm yeah. driving the motorcycle. And That's... I don't give a shit if my game is over in one minute. It's fine. Yeah. Dad, <laughs> give me more money. How many people got past like the first maybe even the second race or level of of hang on outrun no afterburner. Yeah. i don't even think there was a second level and if there was it probably wasn't that different <laughs> than the first level and you wouldn't know because you're enamored by the fact that you're in the game as, as opposed to standing at the console right yep yeah so that's, true, that's man. great memory man so my next one is again another uh, later in life one that i played uh, and it wasn't, I remember hearing about this game. I didn't know anybody that had it. When I got into game collecting uh, later on in life, uh, my wife and I, 
it was always one on the Sega Genesis that was super expensive, so I could never get it. Uh, and then a year and a half ago, maybe now, maybe two years, we got uh, an arcade one-up machine, which is a conversation for another time, maybe. But what I will say, this uh, we got it specifically. We got the Marvel versus Capcom uh, one, or the Marvel Superheroes one, it has Marvel Superheroes, and it has the Punisher. And I didn't know that they could make a game that was just built for me, like the Punisher. But it's Basically, everything I loved about side-scrolling beat-em-ups like Final Fight, uh, uh, Double Dragon, those kind of games, and then it's also The Punisher. So it was a perfect mix, and it's those Capcom beat-em-ups again. Uh, we've talked about these in, in other episodes with the Super Nintendo uh, games. There's something about those games where they're, they're, they're bassy, and they it's, it's very much a lot of repetition, but there's a crunch to the fighting there's an enjoyment to it and it has marvel characters which was a perfect blend for that as well so strangely out of that arcade cabinet that's the one i end up playing the most the game that i didn't even buy it for was uh is the punisher and i love that game and it's like a hundred dollar game if you buy it on the genesis and not nearly as as good as the uh i guess it's an emulated version on the arcade one up um but yeah i i love side-scrolling beat-em-ups and that one is just one that i came to much later in life and i i love it i play it all the time nice now just briefly on that what do you guys think about the arcade one-ups do you think it's good because it kind of brings a spotlight maybe more on those arcade games we grew up with and maybe makes them a little easier for people to get into close to to what you know a representation of what the actual one would be or do you think it's you think it's more like um like how musicians look at guitar hero where they're like you know that's not that's not it you know it might be fun but you're it's not the thing right like, i guess Brad you'd be a good person to ask on that um you know the funny thing about that is i know a lot of of um proper arcade collectors proper arcade restorators uh, and i i'm friends with a few of them and, um, you know, those type of people will generally swear off of any type of emulated uh, version, you know, not all of them, some of them will actually, uh, and, you know, we actually have a couple at the arcade that uh, one of the restorators have built for us, um, where they will build off of like a Pandora's box uh, style machine and set it to just that particular game and build the cabinet around that. And I mean, and, and honestly, um, there's very few people, just the real hardcore people that will be able to go in and say, this is not faithfully reproductive, right? Now, the great thing about Arcade 1UP, and there's a, there's a lot of great things about Arcade One. I think they do a great job with their machines. I've actually talked to several of the people that run Arcade One Up, and I had uh, numerous conversations with them over the years. Okay. And uh, I love what they do. And I think what I what I particularly like about what they do is kind of what you said: is it, it puts new eyes on these classics that are otherwise unattainable for the most part for, by a lot of people. It's not like you know we're lucky. We have eight bit beans, and we have. Uh, uh, tilt in Toronto. But I mean, we're talking, we live in a major urban market that has, even in this urban market, only has three major arcades for uh, for 8 million people, right? You think about most people don't have access to that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. 
And I think it's an amazing idea. Arcades are harder and harder. The cabinets are harder and harder to find to actually, you know, fix up and make them reproduce, reproduce them. And then if they do go down, you know, there, there's definitely communities out there that help you, you know, fix ROMs and stuff like that. But they, they do such a great job and they come, they do their, they do their reproduction, their emulation off of the, the source material. Like it's not, you're not getting a, a dumbed down version. You're getting the faithful reproduction of these games. And what I will give them credit for, the, the reproduction has always been there. The emulation has always been great, no matter right from their, their first machine. But early on, a lot of their machines didn't have the wear and tear part of, of the equation. They were easy to wear off the decals. They were easy to, like the, 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 the build wasn't as great. They've gotten a lot better with that. I mean, you look at what some of the arcade one ups doing now. I mean, Jesus, it seems like they're getting every kind of like Bunko. They're getting every every license that they can to yeah. bring you whatever it is you want. You know, I'm just waiting for them to come up with a Tron machine, man. Like that's, I don't know if they'll ever get that, but I mean, I'm really impressed. I mean, they're even reproing like modern machines, they're reproing Big Bug Hunter. They're reproing like like these machines that are still being made. I don't understand that. I guess just making them for like a smaller footprint, you know? Yeah, I think they did a golden tea. They did golden tea as well. Yeah, I just, I was just, I, I, look, I, I was looking at them while we were talking, saw the big buck, big buck hunter and golden tea. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. like, hey, I got a pub in my basement. I'm looking at these going, <laughs> you know, this could work out well. I just got to figure out how to monetize it. But anyways, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they're great for that. But, you know, there's also the, the other option to arcade one up if you don't want to go that route. There are lots of companies, including, uh, you know, who, who does our pin, Toronto Pinball Exchange, who also sell um, kind of the main emulated machines that are done in a faithful reproduction arcade cabinet, whether you want it to be an Atari style or like a Data East style or whatever. Uh, and they do it with either the vertical monitor or the horizontal based on what type of games you want to mainly play. And they'll stock that thing full for about $1,000 of whatever it is you want to see on that machine, faithfully productive as well. So, you know, there's a couple of ways of going for repros, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with it, man. I have one of those, you've seen it, you've played it on it, Matt, the one over at Deadly Grounds. When we have a, a Pandora's box hooked up to a, an LCD over there, and most of them play okay, some of them are not great, but most of the games that I love, I can play on that no problem, you know, and, and yeah. that was a $200, $300 machine that I bought for that. And uh -huh. yeah, so that's my stance. Adam, what do you, what, what do you think? I, I think it goes back to the piece where it's, it, it's, um, I can't see it being inexpensive for the person at home. To, it becomes a really niche collectible thing. If you want to try to get into restorations, originals, and you know, to relive that nostalgic and have that vintage piece. I, I, you know, you shared the, the effort and uh, networking that's required to be able to populate 8-Bit Beans. So we, we, I get that. I think this is a great gateway. You know, it's an opportunity to kind of combine that nostalgic piece, to have it at home. It's not, yeah. you know, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but it's not as expensive as you would think. I mean, it's between 500 to to 1000 bucks for... Uh, you know, a, a basically an arcade machine that fits inside your house with a footprint that isn't, you know, it is condensed a little bit, so it fits a little bit nicer inside the space. That's a pretty yeah. cool thing to have. I think it's a good thing to celebrate. And if anything, like like I agree with Matt, it's a and yourself, it's like a it's a gateway piece. It's an eye opener where you've done that. People find it exciting, and then you find out there's places like Eight Bit where it's like, okay, let's go because now we can play more games and we like this idea and it's fun and so. I don't think it limits anything. I think it actually creates more opportunity in the space. And yeah. quite frankly, like if we look at it this way as a parent, 
you know, I, I see my kids that game and then they, they isolate in their gaming. Yeah, okay, they're connected online, but they isolate. This is an opportunity to game together in space. And I know my kids well enough. Actually, when they went to Matt's to, to play his machine, they were on top of each other playing that machine. They don't share anything, right? Like yeah. they're, they're 15 yeah. and 13. They don't, they, they don't share oxygen. And so then if we fast forward, there they are side by side. No idea what they're doing. But as long as they're smashing each other in the face on the game, they're happy. It was great. Yeah. It was a great experience. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's, that's what we grew up with video games. And the PS4s and 5s and Xboxes, like they've all changed now. We're really the side-by-side console-type environment, person getting mad, trying not to whip the controller across the room, doesn't happen the same way anymore. Um, you know, they, the, the rebuttal that you get now, the, the, the incredible hate that they'll put into voice chat or chat is, is unbelievable. Yeah. You just need that temper tantrum with the remote or the joystick and then to walk away. There's value in that, I think. And so you get that back in that space. So I'm a big proponent. I think it's a great idea. Um, and furthermore, I think for the people that, if you were a vintage, uh, you know, you're into the, the nostalgic, the venture, the, the true restoration of it, you kind of want the average person actually not to be hunting for the thing you're hunting for. I think you'd yeah, rather absolutely. have the average person hunting for this thing and then yeah. leave that out there for the capacity for you to continue what you're doing. I think this actually works out well so you don't overpopulate that marketplace because there's some people that will have the dollars to buy the machine but do nothing but hoard it. And, and there's totally. so many people into the restoration piece. And so I think it's, it probably works better for both sides of the equation than maybe people want to believe it does. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, okay, well, Brad, what do you got up next? Uh, up next, I'm going to go back to old school again. And this was, I had a couple of reasons why I love this game. And this was also one that I started off on Atari with, but I love the arcade version. Uh, it's Dig Dug. Dig Dug is my jam. Only originally because I felt like a Ghostbuster being able to shoot that that harpoon into those uh, those little alien thingamajiggers and blowing them up. I mean, I used to pretend that I was blowing up Slimer and the Marshmallow Man when I was doing that. So that was like totally like imagining within the game what I was doing, right? And but now that game for me has turned into uh, I have it at home. I have it on uh, like arcade series on all my platforms again, kind of like I do with Galaga, and it has become a all right, boys, it's a, it's a Friday night, and we have a couple of drinks flowing. Uh, who's going to make the leaderboard tonight? And we do that here. And you know, me, Chris, Adam, we, we, we get into it, and it's a, bat, it's a battle on Dig Dug of who can smash how many. Because they have now, on one of the versions, they have a challenge mode now. So you can actually do different challenges as well, which becomes a whole other competition to it. Um, so, I mean, that's getting into, like, modern Dig Dug. But, man, the classic Dig Dug, and only the original Dig Dug, holds up like there's a dig dug too that just just does not hold up i'm like why do you even try to, to fix dig dug like, dig dug is amazing um and it still holds up man it's such a great game and we have it over an 8-bit but it's in uh a, what they call a 50 in one a multi-cab and the old, it's got dig dug on it and it's got um pac-man super pac-man and the problem with that machine is I don't know I can't remember how we acquired that we acquired that in a lot in Montreal I believe and uh, so it was as is but it's got basically it's left handed so you have to joystick with your right hand and the buttons on the left for like zapping the ghosts Um, so it's really awkward to play at least you play it like Freddie Mercury playing Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano you know it's like really awkward um but yeah, we have it there. But I, I, I would love. It's definitely one of my one of my goals to have 
an original big dog cat like that anymore. It's something that I'm on the looking for all the time. I don't think I played Dig Dug before I uh, played it at the arcade. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. What about you, Adam? You're into Dig Dug at all? I can't say that I was, man. I didn't have access yeah. to a lot of the older machines. I mean, that was that that the sad part. So we, yeah, you know, some limited space. I mean, I put a lot of time on Frogger, but it wasn't enough to make the list. My, my, my uncle had an old. Um, it's funny, a fishing bait and tackle shop, but he had an upstairs component, and they, I mean, they used to use it as storage, and I'm like just stuff stacked on it. And I remember wiping everything off of it to realize it was fog, Frogger. And so <laughs> as a kid, I was able to go upstairs and play Frogger, and there was no quarters required. So that's what I did all weekend during the bait tackle shop days. Um, nice. But I mean, that you know, limited exposure to some of those older games. Growing up in a village of like, what they say four hundred, but I doubt that. Maybe in the summertime. Yeah, exactly. Counting the farms <laughs> all the way to Port Hope and Cobra, maybe. Yeah. Uh, what do you got next, Adam? Uh, this actually started to get a little bit harder because like I've yeah. got like three to play with. But to be honest, I'm going to use the ones that really enamored me. So um, for me, it's actually Street Fighter Two. This is where I'm going to put Street Fighter 2 in. Um, kind of surprised we hadn't seen it already at some point, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I suspected it was going to be near the end of someone's list. Because, I mean, there, there was a quarter cruncher for sure at the time. I mean, I don't even know if Street Fighter 1 ever truly existed, and if it did, who experienced it? Uh, 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 <laughs> Street Fighter 1 was at the Budley Arena for a short time, in that same spot that 1942 was. So there's an example. The Budley Arena population as we dictated 47 people um couldn't keep that <laughs> game in service like as an example how bad street fighter one was um but street fighter two i mean talk about a complete you know change of identity right so it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a forever classic fighting game emulated millions of spin-offs i mean uh and none of them really disappoint because the concepts are there and you can get in the minutia what one you like the best but i'll go with the classic because it certainly ate a lot of quarters um and I still didn't care that Ken and Ryu were essentially the same because, quite frankly, one had long hair, one didn't, and they were completely different people for that matter. So, yeah. but uh, other than that, you know, mashing E Honda's buttons and mashing Chun Li's buttons, you know what? I don't care how cheap that move was. It was awesome when it connected. Uh, so, anyways, no, I loved it. I, I loved that game. And uh, it, it, for some people, maybe that's what would sit on the top of their list, but I, I had something that completely enamored me for a different reason. And so I'm hoping to have fun with that conversation. Uh, but I'll tell you, closely in this this spot, Street Fighter 2 or NBA Jam, it was really mm. back and forth right here. But I gave it a Street Fighter 2 because neither one of them is, is my number one. So. so the problem that I have with that with Street Fighter 2, and I shouldn't say a problem, I have no problem with Street Fighter 2. I love Street Fighter 2. But the problem I had with that era of gaming, which would have been like 92, 94, in that area era, in my little town in Newfoundland, we didn't have arcades so i mean me street fighter 2 was a super nintendo game you know that was that was my street fighter 2 so i i love it but to me i never played it i don't think i played more that in an actual arcade until we had our own i really don't think so same thing with mortal kombat like mortal kombat to me was a genesis game you know Uh, i didn't get the the original the 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 hands-on with the arcade cabinet but still, I can understand why for a lot of people they did. And yeah, know, and I think, get into like Street Fighter Turbo. Like, yeah, I, I mean, you bring it up that way too. It's like, I think for me, it was the nostalgic. It was the big hook for me for that for that style of game. And I mean, they all look the same, right? Like, I mean, the graphics for a little while there in the arcade, 
as you walked down and looked at the machines, they all kind of looked the same because it was the job that, at the time, right? But it was also yeah. really nice to see at that time because it was an advancement from what you had at home until your Super Nintendo and Sega, Sega Genesis, et cetera, was starting to become more mainstream and more people were getting them. And so things started to change a little bit and they started porting them. And I will admit that game ported well, actually having a controller as opposed to the arcade, I think was probably a bigger advantage and more competitive to play that game. I, I, for me, I think it was more where I think of the memory, I think of the hook. I think it was, mm -hmm. it was the hook for me for arcade being a superior product at the time. So I would always value an arcade machine over a console version of any game. And that, and that was the hook for me to do that. Time changed that, but for a good 10-year period of like 90 to 2000, I still felt that way for probably almost any arcade game. I'd always give it the time of day with the intentions that I knew it was going to be superior to the console. Well, I think they were definitely, they realized they were onto something too, or you'd had a game where you could challenge your buddy and, you know, and then you could get a lineup behind you and the guy behind you, you know, puts his quarter down. He's like, whoever loses, I'm taking that spot. And, you know, you set up these, these uh, tournaments or you got one guy who's just running through everybody in the neighborhood to be the top dog. And it kind of goes back to that old school mentality that Brad mentioned, where it, in this case, you're not necessarily getting your name on the scoreboard, but you're becoming, Oh, that guy over there is the best guy in street fighter two here at this yeah. arcade. That guy over there, you know, with Guile will always win. Or, you know, he this guy figured out some crazy combo or, you know, glitch or whatever. Um, it, it was more of a, not so much on the on the scoreboard, but just in person, you were getting people that were having skills and, and being well known as, as a good player in that. I don't know about yourself. I've never really been great at any of the fighting games no. uh, i do find the street fighter games and the capcom ones do have um i think they have a bit more of a natural uh move set at least the old ones do i do find the newer mortal Kombat ones are much much easier to play than the old ones uh control wise but were you ever any good at street fighter adam or you just enjoyed playing it <laughs> yeah i was good at it. i enjoyed it i enjoyed kicking your ass when it was on the console but furthermore, it was more fun when it was. Uh, <laughs> it was more fun when we actually look. There's certain games that Matt and I can play together that there's guaranteed. I said I wasn't good at it. <laughs> there's there's I guaranteed <laughs> moments when I talked about whipping the controller, and it goes both ways. There's these games you did that to me as well. So, um, but anyhow, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I did. It was a fun game. It was maybe that's another piece too. Is one of the first ones I actually was successful with. So mm -hmm. based on the, my age at the time as well. So beating levels, beating bosses, actually fighting M. Bison uh, on the arcade machine was achievable for me, and it didn't take, you know, $37. So that yeah. was kind of neat to, to do that. Cool. Well, uh, my last two are definitely retro, uh, and they could probably flip-flop depending on my mood on that day. This one, I really got into after watching probably one of my favorite documentaries of all time and watching it over and over and over again. It was a documentary that was about video games. It was a documentary with what seems like a real life supervillain in that being <laughs> Billy Mitchell. Uh, and it was King of Kong fistful of quarters. And the game is Donkey Kong. And I remember watching that with uh, my buddy TJ 
And we, that, after that, we immediately got Donkey Kong. I think we had it on an emulator. And it was that who can go the furthest, who can, it was exactly what Brad said with the scoreboard, who can get a higher score. And we would play that and play that and play that. I remember playing the Nintendo version for a long time. And then we both realized that it was missing a level. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I don't think it has the third level. I can't right. remember the, the order. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, no, can't do that. We got to go. We got to get the arcade. It got to the point where we were contemplating legitimately videotaping ourselves playing it so that we could then, sh- you know, mail a tape to each other just as an asshole move, you know, with a high <laughs> score, you know, completely complete the whole Billy Mitchell uh, thing. But it, it is a game where, as a kid, I remember playing the, the Atari version of it. And I remember it being really hard uh, as a kid. And it was hard again in my 20s and 30s when I, when I played it. But it is a game where if you play it and play it and play it, the more you, you can actually get much better at that game by playing it more and more often. Yeah. It's not designed. Some of the arcade games are designed to destroy you. They are just designed to suck every quarter out of you that they can. But I find with Donkey Kong, it's one of those games that if if you put the time into it, you can get better. I'm not fantastic, but I can last, you know, a couple rotations of the levels, which is something I could never do as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a simple game. I can have a really great run with it. I can then have a run of it that I just want to put my fist through the screen. It's, it's a game that can be super frustrating but also can be kind of rewarding. Uh, So yeah, Donkey Kong is uh, for this list on this day, my number two pick. Nice. Definitely out there too. And also another counter that I want to have the original of. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't mind, let's talk about uh, documentaries for a second. Like that was a great one. I I love that documentary. And I, again, like you have watched it numerous, numerous times. Um, if you have Amazon Prime, there's a bunch of arcade documentaries, which I just like go down the rabbit hole and, and I love it. Uh, Man vs. Snake, the Nibbler documentary. Man vs. Snake is a perfect follow-up to King of Kong. And the moment that will always stick out of my head is when that guy, the maybe the most asshole move I've ever seen, offers to sign the other guy's cabinet like he's the he's the champ and he's just rubbing it right in his face. He's like, "I'll sign your cabinet." Like, fuck you. Like it's the oh man. But that is great. And I think he's Canadian, isn't he? That guy. That one the, guy. He's from Grand Trail, yeah. Alberta. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up getting caught. You know, it says he didn't uh, fix the the realm. The one the one realm was faster, sped up. But it says he didn't. But everyone said that he had the knowledge to be able to do that. Um, so f- funny thing is, he worked at a place in grand prairie i can't validate this but i think it's the same place that i worked at um so my my boss owned a pub that i was the assistant general manager of and in the basement was an amusements company that again went all over alberta with arcade machines i think he that's my because that's the only one that i know of in northern alberta i think that's where and it was in grand prairie i think this is where that guy worked where he would have had the ability to 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 basically fix that machine to do what he wanted it to do. I can't confirm it, but I'm going to, I'm going to do more research on that. Right. That, that, that documentary was so frustrating. Uh, it was fun to watch. And I, I have watched that one numerous times too, but man, 
it's just funny to see you know, these guys acting like they're larger than life. Like you swear it was the fucking rock and John Cena walking out, you know, when these guys are talking and it's like, Oh my God, yeah. you guys. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yeah. Every one of these guys in these, in these, uh, the, these retro arcade documentaries, every one of them is a character. Like, you know, you got the guy that uses the weightlifting gloves for the, for yeah. the trackball, and, you know, you've got the guy who, he was accused of using the fake boards and then he was made an appearance in playgirl magazine. And then there was, you know, breaking into the guy's garage to tamper with his machine. There's so much <laughs> right? insanity. Who knew there was so much drama in the arcade world? <laughs> and it's still going on. Like if you follow these guys after the fact, yeah. I mean, the titles have changed. The Billy Mitchell thing has just, Oh yeah. Crazy. His whole world has fallen apart. I don't know what's going on with him at this point. He's you know running his hot sauce empire. Mm-hmm. There's just it's it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, some of those are are just super entertaining to watch. There's a couple of pinball ones on there too that you definitely need to watch. Like, yeah, uh, I, I just you just look up pinball documentaries and just have, just go to town. It's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. That was my okay. So Brad, this is your your essentially your number one pick or your last pick of the evening. So this is my number one pick, and uh, I know there's a lot of people that have this in their top picks. And again, it's one of those games that it was great in the arcade, and there were numerous, I wouldn't say ports because it was never ported per se, but numerous similar games on NES and Super Nintendo and Genesis and the like, and Amiga and Commodore, and you name it. But my all-time favorite arcade game is WWF WrestleFest. And to a lesser extent, WWF Superstars. Um, Those two machines, like, I didn't care. If I went and they had that machine, that was the machine that was getting all my money. I did not give a shit what else was in that arcade. That's what was getting my money. I was such a big WWF nerd back in the day that – and then – and I had them all, too. I mean, I had WrestleMania and Steel Cage Challenge and uh, Super WrestleMania and Royal Rumble and WWF Raw. You name it, I had every single home console WWF game. Going back to the Commodore 64, I had the the, the Micro Micromania, I think it was called, which was kind of like a text-based uh, a video motion game. We had to pick the moves. I loved that game. And you had to put a different disc in for, like, if you wanted to be, like, Paul Orndorff versus Hulk Hogan. Like, it was crazy. Oh, uh, Micro League Wrestling was called. Look up Micro League Wrestling. It was so crazy. Um, but this was the game that was like, oh, my God, this is like TV. They did the the finishing moves. They did the, the, the you know, the, the calling out to the crowd. They did, like, the taunts. It was like, we didn't get that at home. You know, but early on, we didn't even get finishers, you know, especially on NES or or Uh, 8-bit era. We didn't get finishers. So that was like, man, oh, man, tag teaming as the mega powers and just, oh, it was the best thing. Was it a four-player at the cabinet? I believe, I want to, there might have been two versions. I'm mostly familiar with the two-player. Okay. Um, I remember remember the two-player. Yeah, I think it may have been just two-player. Okay. Um, they did come but, out with a four-player Royal Rumble game in the late 90s, right. which was also really, really good. And again, compared to like the WWF Attitude and the WWF Warzone games that were out at that time at home, again, just kind of blew it all out, out of the water. It was such a great game too. But WrestleFest, oh man, such a good game. 
Was that were you good at that game? I was great at that game. Yeah. <laughs> I was really good at the game. And in uh, 2009-2010, THQ got the rights to WrestleFest, and they launched WrestleFest, and it was just called WWF WrestleFest, on iPhone, on iOS. And it was a faithful reproduction of that game. It was like about as much as you can on an iPhone. And it was the joystick and two buttons with the updated roster and arenas that were like modern. And it was amazing. And I still have an iPhone 4S rocking around here somewhere for the sole reason that I can still play that game. I have no idea where it is. I probably don't have a charger for it. But it's around somewhere. That was so cool. Sorry, I cut you off there, Adam. What were you saying? No, for me, man, Superstars. Like, that was, I never had access to WrestleFest, but I had the Superstars. I remember Mr. Perfect. I remember, like, getting just the shape and flow of the character at the time was so different than what you had in arcade machines. And even when you think when the um, early 90s machines, the Konami Revolution, like how that look and feel changed, it still wasn't as satisfying and rewarding as the movement inside of those games. I mean, just the way the body, like the shoulders went on the body when they ran, like as as much as maybe, um, maybe I'm, you know, romanticizing the memory. Maybe if I had it in front of me right now, it might not be so much, but I'm not going to let that memory be ruined because it was so cool at the time. Like even the animation of sweat, like I remember that stuff. I had a bit of it and I'm like, at the time, was so huge, and I was a huge wrestling, absolutely. Huge I remember playing as Jake the Snake, and you know, because that game was so simple. It was it was two buttons. I mean, there really was not much to this game, but yeah. those two buttons did a hell of a lot for that game. That wasn't hard to learn necessarily. And you look at it, you at home, you're with a game that has six buttons on this joypad, and you're like, why can't I do what I can do at the arcade with two buttons and a fucking joystick? It's so stupid. But I remember playing as Jake the Snake, and when you got your opponent wore down enough, where every time you basically went for your move, you did the DDT. Every yeah. time he went up with the finger and like did like what he does on TV, it's like this is amazing. Oh, yeah, that was great so, so big. Oh my god, I can't believe that missed my radar altogether too. Totally missed oh. that on my radar. Totally missed it. Oh man, we that's why I love the that. machine at eight bit. But I do have uh, from the original machine. I have the the glass that goes in the the top uh, banner area uh, uh, uh marquee uh but that's another one that's on my list i have it over at deadly grounds on the emulator and it plays fine but nothing i, I need the original machine for sure yeah uh, honestly like that's just, just uh that's the whole reason i love doing these shows because it, it, i think we've done this a few times now matt with the different consoles and stuff along the way and someone brings something up and you're like Shh, like you feel guilty for forgetting it because you're like, I can't believe right. I missed that. Like, oh my god! And then you remember you're like 40 years old. So that's why you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wicked call! Wicked call! Oh well, Adam, what's your uh, what's your number one? So my game was uh, uh, how do I put it? Um, I think the only way I can do it justice is well. Uh, so it was based in the land of Uria, which is in danger, and the evil Death Adder has found the Golden Axe. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, what I loved about this was I, I despised Sega because I was so such a zealot for uh, Nintendo. Like it was just I was Me like too. this definitive there. I can't, I, you know, if you put a Sega Genesis in the house, I didn't want to play it. Although the idea of Altered Beast and Golden Axe, like, drew me somewhat interested because you at least got to experience Altered Beast on the, in the arcade. But I didn't find it had a hook. Golden Axe, because I really like that, that 
more of that period, that fantasy style around, um, you know, knights and dwarves and barbarians. And like that, that was me. And so I loved this game because there was so much, each character had different things they brought to the game. You know, you had different, everyone got a different experience when you played with the different characters. And so if you're having a hard time with one character, you would try a different character and you would have a different experience. And there wasn't a lot of that going on at that time. And I have to admit, um, it ported, Sega did port their games relatively well. I, I can admit that, but I never really experienced it on the Genesis because I refused to own one. It wasn't an option. I didn't know anybody that had one. So this was my environment for Golden Axe. And, and the sound on that, even just the sound of smashing those little elves when they drop the pots out and stuff. Like I, It was so violent, but so awesome at the same time. So yeah, truly loved it. The bosses were like ridiculously large. It was one of the first games where the bosses were so huge on the screen. It was, mm-hmm. this can't be real. And it really wasn't that hard to kill them in the end. But, but it, it just looked so big and so different. So yeah, this was a big, big hook for me. And I think it was also... At the end of it, I think part of the root of really cementing my love of video games altogether, whether it be console, arcade, whatever. This just had a lot of things around it that I have. In fact, I have Golden Axe on my phone. And every phone I get, you know, I always try to maintain I maintain at least an up-to-date version of it because it's been available on Android forever, as long as I can remember. I've been playing it on freaking Blackberries like it's there. So, nice. uh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally loved this game. It was a, It was a big one for me. That's cool. Awesome. I never got into, I don't think I ever played Golden Axe in the arcades at all. I've got it on Sega Genesis, but I got that much later, like when I started collecting uh, console games, but for the same reason, because I was a Nintendo kid and you'd see like from the other side of the fence, like, oh, they got Golden Axe over there. They got Altered Beast. I'm going to have to try those someday. But I never did get to play the arcades. I know Arcade 1-Up has a a cabinet now that is, I think, I think three golden axe games. I think there's three or there was three. Um, but that's, uh, that's cool. I never, I think the console versions a little longer, much like we were saying earlier, I think they just, the game isn't super long to begin with. So I think they did add another, another level or so on the Sega Genesis version of it. Well, that's cool. And it's a, and it's a co-op game too, right? So yeah. again, you get your buddies to play with you. You got the magic effects. And like you were saying, the sprites on the bosses were huge. So that's cool. You mentioned Altered Beast there for a second, too. I'll never forget. Um, I didn't have a Genesis. I did in the later part. And I don't even know why I had it because I don't think I even had any games for it, per se. I just I think it was one of those things where it got cheap enough that mom just let me have it one time. And I rented a few games for it. Um, but you mentioned Altered Beast. And I remember, forget, uh, there was a store in my hometown. My hometown was only like 1,000 people, too. Um, that rented Sega Genesis machines and the original one, like the, the high definition Sega Genesis first, you know, edition that had the the headphone plug with the, the volume rocker on it. Um, I remember my dad rented it for me one weekend and it had, and I really wanted to play. I love punch out, but it had Buster Douglas boxing. Oh, yeah. I think, Oh my God, that's going to be so cool. But it really wasn't. So I got that and altered beast and i never forget the first time i heard like the digitized the digitized voice in altered beast being like holy shit that was like the craziest thing ever hearing come through the speakers on your tv i was like oh my god that is so cool that was such a good game too in hindsight like you listen to it now it doesn't sound that great although it has that nostalgia (laughs) feel to it but if you compare it to say like blades of steel or something on the nes that you're used to it was a huge bump up in quality for sure yeah uh that's cool um all right well my last pick is uh 
it's a retro game, but it's not one that I played as a kid. In fact, I don't think I really got, I don't think I played it uh, at least heavily until I started coming to the uh, 8-Bit Beans uh, Arcade Cafe. And that is Miss Pac-Man. I don't know what it is about Miss Pac-Man, but I can, I, it's kind of like the Donkey Kong in the sense that it's a simple game and I can see myself making progress every time I play it. It's enough that I get a little bit further each time. I never had this version as a kid. I had, I had the notorious Pac-Man on Atari, which as a kid, I didn't know was, you know, who knew, but it's, you know, terrible. Uh, but Miss Pac-Man was sort of like it took, you know, what they got right with the arcade version of Pac-Man and just tweaked it enough that just a little bit better. Like, it's just a little bit better. Uh, it, it it has, you know, extra fruit and, and the look of it's a little prettier. It's it's funny because it's actually not it. Um, I remember this history correctly. I think Midway was releasing Pac-Man in North America and they didn't want to wait for the sequel, which ended up being super Pac-Man. So they just modded Pac-Man into Miss Pac-Man. And I remember Namco, I think got super pissed, but then realized it was making money. So they didn't worry about it. And I think the same thing with junior Pac-Man or Pac-Man junior. It was a Midway, I think not a Namco. I can't yeah, remember exactly. Something like that. There was a there was a bunch of back and forth and and lawsuits and settlements outside of court. Um, yeah. People just trying to and, and Pac-Man is the most notorious for it. But I mean, there was other uh, brands that were doing that, just trying to cash in with the eye knowing that they were going to get sued, but thought we'll make we'll make enough money off of this that even if we have to pay out, we're fucking fine and we can pay it out. It's just ridiculous <laughs> yeah. how you thought back then, right? Yeah, and, and but like I said, I don't know what it is about Miss Pac-Man. It's just it's simple, super simple to get into. Obviously, any of the Pac-Man games tend to be, um, but it's I don't know what it is. I'm draw. It's it's that draw that you talked about of getting onto the scoreboard, yeah. and you see now that one, if I remember correctly, it's been a few weeks now since I played it. I believe it just has the high score. I don't think there's an actual table. I don't think. I, I don't think you put your initials either. in that one. Uh, but you know, seeing the high score and it's always there at the top while you're playing and your yeah. score is up there at the top next to it. And you're just like, okay, I just got to get a little bit further, a little bit further. I got to try to get all the fruit on this, on this, uh, this map. And, you know, it's one of those ones where that's, it, it's, it's a, it's a score battle. You're just constantly fighting for that score. The only other experience I've, I've had that's similar to this also at 8-Bit Beans, uh, when uh, you guys had the sit down, and I know you still have it, but the situation has called for it to not be out at the moment. But the sit down Pac-Man, mm-hmm. uh, the cocktail, the two player one, that that's another genius move where you have a person on either side. You can sit your drinks down. When you die, the screen turns. The other guy gets his turn. You don't have to swap spots. But yeah, Miss Pac-Man uh, right now anyways is it, for some reason, and I can't explain why I'm just drawn to it. The simplicity, but then also that fact that the the learning curve is there. It's not a wall. It's you get better every time you play, and uh, I enjoy trying to get the high score every time. You uh, you know, Pac Man 
the whole series is, is an honorable mention for me. I love the Pac-Man series. Even up to modern day, I, mean, I think you might have seen that I play Pac-Man 99. I love that game. Um, the thing about it, and here's why you like Ms. Pac-Man. There's, first of all, well, this is why I like Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man is my all-time favorite Pac-Man. And it's because of the speed. There's there's a there's a there's a there's a different speed and flow to Miss Pac-Man than there is with Pac-Man. And it just is something that, like you, that just resonates better with me than what the original Pac-Man did. And the ones that subsequently came out after that actually have I I have um a like for Junior Pac-Man. Uh, I think there's something about that game going across multiple screens. That's kind of cool. I was never a big fan of uh, Super Pac-Man. It's okay, but like it's not something that I would go out of my way to play. Junior Pac-Man is because it's playing Junior Pac-Man with the monitor that we have over there anyway. It looks like you're playing as if I was sitting in front of a Nintendo. The screen is so... It reminds me of just sitting at, at my small color TV playing Nintendo. Versus a lot of other uh, cabinets don't look that way. They don't have that same feel and look. But Miss Pac-Man, oh, yeah. Like, there's something about the speed that she goes at, the amount of things you can do. And, and like you said, there's this kind of, like, ongoing mechanic that you learn playing that game that's almost kind of hidden and behind the scenes. But you, you, you're you learning it. And, yeah, it's, it's a classic, man. So good. Love it. Well, I think that's our major picks. Uh... Brad, do you have any other honorable mentions? Maybe ones that somebody hadn't said that uh, you want to f- go through quickly? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I, I mentioned Pac Man. That was kind of on that list. I had like the Street Fighters and the Mortal Kombat's on that list as well as, as backup. Um, pole Position. Like I didn't mention any racing games, but uh, Pole Position is one of those ones that I remember playing and had the big wheel and was like, okay, this is fun to play. Um, doesn't hold up too well, I don't find. Tempest is on my list for uh, that secondary gaming or list. The same thing with uh, Donkey Kong. That's on my second uh, honorable mention list as well. Um, yeah, but like I said to you before the show started, man, I think we could do a, a whole show just on uh, racing games, just on sports games, just on vector games, like, you know, NBA Jam. NFL Blitz was really big in the arcades, you know. Yeah. And I wasn't a football fan, but NFL Blitz was fun to play with your buds, you know? Yeah. Um, then you could get into shooters. I mean, you could get into your Buck Hunters and your Rambos and those types of games too, right? So many are Time uh, time Cop or Time Crisis or House of the Dead. I mean, yeah. come on. That yeah. was that was that a was, great one, right? I did I did have that in my conversation. Um, I also – I really appreciated for that. You had pole position. I liked Sprint, Super Sprint. The overhead, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why that was uh, for me the same concept, but it was just the, the the wheel and the freedom of it all. So yeah, you're right though. I mean, I originally when we came up with the, you know, it, Matt pitched this idea of the the consoles and arcade and going through this conversation, I was a little apprehensive for the arcade one, thinking to myself, am I really going to be able to dig into this? You know, how much memory is really there that I experienced? And then we start making the list. It was surprising. Like it, it was a lot like. Um, probably more like Nintendo because Super Nintendo was just ridiculous amount of games that were there uh, and your access to them was so different. Uh, but for mm-hmm. Nintendo, again, it was not sure how many will be there. Then surprised how big the comprehensive the list was and the impact it had. And I think arcades the same way was 
you know, although it's not 700 plus titles that we're rummaging through that we happen to experience almost all 700 of them, the impact of these games, I think, might have been a little bit bigger when it's all said and done in terms of, you know, uh, developing a love for the game, developing that link to nostalgic uh, nostalgia and to, to keep that uh, spirit alive in our age now. I think arcade games had a really big role in that, maybe even mm. more so than some of the console, because it was just this thing where you went to different places and it was available. And it was a special circumstance and you had to wait your turn, but you were willing to wait your turn. And even if it wasn't the best experience, you still had it and it made it the highlight of whatever trip you were on that maybe you didn't want to be on. Uh, so yeah, I just think there's a, there's a really special place for arcade machines and a really, it's like our top five list here. I think any of the games we mentioned for, for each of our list, uh, I think pretty equally across the way we'd enjoy ourselves by all counts. And, uh, totally. it's certainly not, you know, some of the console lists, I think we can say, we look back on going, you know what, there's games that you put on your list that good for you, but I really wouldn't have even tried. I think for the arcade machines, all of us would put quarters into the machines we just listed, uh, all 15 oh, games. Yeah. hundred percent. Was there any that uh, that you had on honorable mentions that didn't get pulled? Or NBA Jam was the only one. You threw cruising cruising out there because cruising was a pretty fun one to play. I mean, it was it was definitely the force feedback steering and the and the music and all that was with it. I really did enjoy that one as well. Um, other than that, though, I mean, actually, there was the what was the one that was uh, was it the bubble bobble or whatever it was that was in the arcade at the high school? Bust a move. Or, Bust the move, sorry. You know what? That actually was a good game, but I feel like it was the beginning of things like Candy Crush, and so it was just the end of society. So I, I tried to not hold, hold too much high merit for it. But it was great in high school, particularly. I mean, that's where um, uh, there was a version of 1942 there briefly as well, but Bust Move became the game that it, it was fun. It was decompressing. It was stress relieving. It was. Uh, Competitive you know, Bust a Move is intense. You know, when you're side by side, you know, trying to trying to bust a move, it can get pretty crazy. <laughs> the greatest that, that luxury that might have changed it all together. We might have had fist fights in the cafeteria if that was oh. the case. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think most of my honorable mentions got uh, said as well in some form. Uh, let's see. No, there was a couple. So, oh, uh, oh go ahead. They say, do we each have a memory of how let down we were when we finally trade tried Dragon's Lair? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I tried it first on computer, I think. I remember. Yeah. And again, it was that thing as a kid, you don't know. You see the the, the, the pictures in magazines or... The cartoon. Or, I get to play a cartoon. You're like, yeah, it's going to be great. What happened? Why am I dead? What just ha- what what the hell just happened? It cost me a dollar yeah. like or whatever. Yeah, yeah. it was expensive game. It was too. super Wasn't expensive. Cheap. Yeah, Laserdisc, right? So. It was actually a Laserdisc disc player in the cabinet, I believe, of some, some yeah. form of that. But I mean, there was a lot of games like that. You're you're exactly right, and I, I like you, Matt. It was at home for me as well that I got my taste of Dragon's Lair and immediately did not understand or give a shit. Um, but I mean, there's I, I remember in the '80s and early '90s, like you know, how many did you guys ever try like the VHS games and stuff like that? Like they were all seemed so incredible because you're playing, you know, a fighter jet game where where you're where you're watching an actual fighter jet on your VHS. But it actually wasn't even designed to fucking work. Like, it didn't work. But you didn't, again, at the time, maybe you didn't give a shit, but I, I did. It was kind of like when you played the Power Glove for the first time. It was like, Jesus, this is shit. You Wait know? a second. You're what telling the me. the idea of it? Oh, my God. 
hold on. You just took me down the memory lane. The VHSs is, is, is I, I just have to hold on a second. Carry on. Captain Power? Captain Power. I knew that's what you were looking for. What the yeah. hell was that? God. And I played that a lot. A lot. No, I can re- I'm remembering this. Why isn't, re- that, I, isn't that genius? It's like, we're going to make a make show. Kids do this. We're going to sell you a toy. If you watch the show with the toy, you think that you're interacting with the game, but you're barely, I don't think you had any. Yeah. I don't know how that even worked. They had the flashing light things. You could. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching. Yeah. This. I'm, and the yeah. only way to, to, to get to register a score was it would tell you on the box if you got like a one, but it was only like, it, it was very flawed. I mean, you really weren't. You can't ruin the animations were exactly. You're watching the VHS. How could the animations change? There's no different channels for it to go to, right? You can't like, ruin this for me. You can't ruin. <laughs> it was it was a TV show that I got to play along with, and I was a soldier of fortune. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I, I think the last run of that sort of thing was probably like maybe the Sega CD, the 3DO that time. Sega CD's got a lot of those games where you're like, oh, that's it's a movie. Oh, I think I'm controlling this. I don't know if I am. You know what's bad? When something from our period of time that was, you know, 87 to what, 90-ish, give or take. So we were, you know, for the our podcast audience, you know, everyone's roughly between the ages of like 7 and 13. So like the heart of consumption. And you go on YouTube and it's like, 3,000 views. Like, like we're not even looking it up. Like, we're, we're, we're trying to not acknowledge the existence of it. Um, we're not yeah. the audience for that. I'm totally making my kids watch this. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, so Gauntlet was one I had on my list that didn't get mentioned. Yeah. That was one I played a lot. Ooh, yeah. uh, T2, the arcade game for for shooters, that was a big one, I remember? Oh, that was, yeah, that was good. It had the Aerosmith soundtrack, didn't it? Did it? I, I know Aerosmith had their own... Uh, that fully digitized one. shooter. I'm pretty um, sure the, the the Terminator one had the Aerosmith um, soundtrack as well. I'll have to look at it. If it did, it's lost points on my list here. Uh, and then Marvel vs. Capcom and uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 were, uh, were ones that I'm a big fan of, mostly for the home consoles. I didn't play a lot of them in the, the arcades, but uh, everything else you guys mentioned, 1942, Pac-Man. Uh, yeah, so I think that uh, pretty much covers my list. So I guess before we wrap up here, I know it's a weird time right now, but is there anything you want to promote or plug or talk about, Brad, before we head off? Um, I mean, yeah, we're just, I guess, uh, you know, we're plugging away over at Deadly Grounds still. And, and uh, if, you know, locally, we're still providing free local delivery to people in our area, in Durham region. And uh, still pumping away at doing online deliveries. And, and the cafe is open, so, you know, we are seeing people on a daily basis over there to pick up and grab their latte and come grab a bag of coffee or whatever. But, you know, unfortunately, 8-Bit is closed and, and uh, you know, we're just getting to the point where we can't wait till that can reopen and get back to its uh, glory. I mean, I think uh, I think everybody's chomping at the bit to get back at it, and I know I am. And, uh, you know, we're taking this time right now to kind of dial in some ideas that we've been working with. Right now we're looking at uh, covering all the windows, so right now we're getting quotes on getting perforated uh, vinyl in some of them with like cool 80s themed uh, gaming stuff. And then we're going to cover the rest with uh, blinds. It's kind of the idea. So we can get a little bit more privacy, take the tone down a little bit in there. But also, you know, we have issues with people, seeing people in there. We got all these big windows and, and you know, wanting to make a big deal that people are in there, right? 
so we're trying to we're trying to dial our idea in always and uh that's part of it is, is to get that up and running and uh, we're hoping to uh do a little bit of a change to the floor plan in there during this time as well so when we reopen hopefully we can reopen to uh you know an amazing grand 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 reopening <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll definitely have uh, the links in the show notes for all of uh, Brad's many businesses and for 8-Bit and Deadly Grounds, all that sort of thing. Adam, you got anything left uh, on this topic? Or you? I have gone down a oh, rabbit no. hole. We lost and, and I just want to say that <laughs> yeah. all of the people that starred in Captain Power okay, uh-huh. actually have Hollywood careers. Like legit Hollywood careers. Um. So I know you would not remember Corporal Jennifer Chase. I, she was the pilot. Anyway, oh. so, sh- shut up. She was actually the co-pilot on the in the movie Armageddon. So she had like this piloting background that they've like totally branded her through Hollywood. And you go through her list, she was in all kinds of cool things. They it, and they've all been in either Stargate or Star Trek. Um, the guy who played the tank, I, I know you don't remember. But I remember all this vividly. He's been in like seventeen Schwarzenegger films. They've all got like they've made money, which they shouldn't have. They should have been like <laughs> they, they should have been like totally abandoned by Hollywood, and it seems to have served as a launch pad for their careers. Blown away. Well, man, I'm, I'm taking a quick look. I mean, it was all filmed in Toronto, which is cool. Um, and I mean, the average is seven point six out of ten on IMDb. I mean, that's not too bad. That out of what, like three people rating it? I didn't look at that part. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, here's the thing: I I am not familiar with the show. I don't think I've ever seen any of it, so uh, I I wanted to take a look at this. I I I am. There's a trailer, and I I won't push play because nope. I think it'll undo all of the romanticizing I have of my memory. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, this is cool. So I I really Brad, thank, listen, Brad, thank you for joining us on this. I mean this is your thing. This is your expertise. This is what you are, uh, you know, part of what your big passion is. So you joining on the show for that adds some serious clout to the, to the comments that we've had. So we don't just look a couple of jackasses, listen off arcade. <laughs> so that's awesome. By the way, I really appreciate that. And, you know, um, keep up all the great work with the, with the, the stores. And I mean, I know it's a really tough time as you shared with us and, you know, if our fans can do and listeners, you know, support in any way you can order online, Take take a look. I know Matt's got all the pieces in there, and he'll throw it in there. But always support local. We've pushed that out there. You know, you've heard the voice of someone that's local that is, you know, put his his, his time and energy into providing something that's unique and a special space for everyone that we all enjoy. So, you know, if you can, and I know you can, because if you're listening to this, you fucking can. So do something to support local. I appreciate that. And if you don't appreciate, do it in spite of me. Whatever you want. I don't care what your motivator <laughs> is. Just fucking use it. Uh, but no, I really appreciate your time, man, and, and especially like. You know, you guys don't realize it's three o'clock in the morning and Brad's doing this with us. I can't believe that. So, <laughs> shit. I would do anything for you guys. I, I, I love our conversations and I love being on the show. And uh, no, it's always fun to chat, man. And don't forget, if you uh, do want to support Brad here in uh, Deadly Grounds or 8 Bit Beans, you can always use promo code Happy Zen, H A P P Y X E N, to get a discount on your order. And, uh, you can follow us uh, on social media at Happy Zen Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if you still bother with Facebook, we're on there somewhere as well. Uh, otherwise, thank you again, Brad, for joining us on this trip down memory lane. And hopefully we'll be able to get back to the arcade soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
Until next time, guys, we'll talk to you later. Later. Bye-bye.